Amen. Thank you, team. Welcome back, Mike. Before I bring the message, I want to just highlight and emphasize the importance. If you hear me say that often, the incredible ministry of the women's ministry in this church and the Lisa's leadership. I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful to the Lord, and I, I say that often in my messages and in, in the, the way they do discipleship, the way they do what I've been preaching about. And, and so the February 2nd through 4th, right here at the Apostles, uh, the retreat really is an advance. It's not retreating, it's advancing. <laughs> and um, Judy Burnt uh, used to be a member of this church. Her whole family were here, and before they moved first to San Diego, then to Virginia, a great woman of God who has written many books uh, on prayer. And so it's going to be a week to anchor in God's Word. It's a concentrated anchoring. Uh, and also, there are going to be multi-generation friendship. We've been talking about this whole decade of the 20s, of passing the vision to the next generation. That's part of it. So I want to encourage all the women in the church to uh, anchor themselves in prayer and the Word of God and come uh, for that weekend, sign up, and you women always signed up much earlier than men do. Father, may I ask you to make the words of my mouth and the very thoughts of our hearts and minds be ordered by you, and therefore we know they will be acceptable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, marketing in the business world is a great endeavor. Uh, people need to be informed about good products and, and the benefits of those products. Uh, I'm one of those people who really appreciate good, truthful, uh, integrity-filled marketing uh, that's helpful. But the reason the concept of marketing has had a bum rap is because there are many, sadly, who dishonestly advertise. Uh, in our society, it's all become about numbers now in this mass society that we live in. It's all about numbers. Consequently, so many, uh, so much of our marketing has become you know, make it faster and make more. It's all become about marketing and a quick sale, sadly. Today, the heart of marketing is about how many people can buy it, and uh, now whether it's good or not, regardless, uh, many of today's marketers rely on psychology. Then on the quality and the importance of the product. Several years ago, I read a story about a country store owner who was really having a hard time getting people to come into his store, let alone buy. And so after a few weeks of struggle like that, a friend of his, he said, let me tell you what you need to do. Go out and borrow as many cars from your friends as possible and park them right in front of your store instead of an empty parking lot. 
And sure enough, he went out and got all those cars and put them up in the front. And boy, that place became a buzz with shoppers and buyers. In fact, that psychology works. Uh, my wife has certain wisdoms that I learned never to contradict. Whenever we are in a foreign country or a city, city we're not familiar with, she would say, um, look for a restaurant that has a lot of locals in it. Chances are the food is good. <laughs> I often wonder, what if the food is bad <laughs> and the locals like bad food? <laughs> but who am I to question my wife's wisdom, right? <laughs> well, you say, Michael, why are you telling us all this stuff about marketing in a series entitled, Who's Disciple? Because, sadly, this consumer mentality has invaded the Christian church with vengeance. This attitude of give people what they want, regardless of quality or integrity or truthfulness, has become rampant. That's the sad part. I just saw a pastor online, because I don't watch the news sometimes, I just catch things online only for 10 minutes, and I was flipping through, and sure enough, uh, this pastor was advertising his church, which is fine. And, um, but what he said really made me gag. He said, um, our church is very casual, very relaxed, and very friendly, and we have lots of fun. Well, so far, so good. Until he said, and we never talk about sin. That really made me gag. There are mega churches that pride themselves on being built on self-affirmation. Self-affirmation. I am. I am. I am. And so they no longer sing, sing how great thou art. They'll sing how great I am. Another church advertises and says, it's all about you. You're the most important person in the church. No, it's not. You're not. I love you, but Jesus is. Yet, I, I, I want to show you from the Word of God from the Word of God, that discipleship, according to Jesus, for Jesus' disciple, he says the exact opposite, the exact opposite. In fact, you're going to hear from the words of Jesus, you're going to hear him saying to the, a would-be disciple the very opposite of this kind of slick advertising of today. What you'll hear from Jesus to be saying that those who want to be my disciples um, appears to be so negative in a time when people are preaching positive thinking preaching and positive gospel preaching. And yet Jesus did not have to draw a crowd. The reason they tried to kind of appease because they want people to come. They want a crowd to come. Jesus didn't have to do that. He had the crowd. Masses of people followed Jesus everywhere he went. He already had massive crowds when he uttered those words, as I'm going to show you from Luke 14, beginning at verse 25. Luke 14, 25. We're going to put it on the screen. It's in the pew, in the Bible in the pew in front of you, 1623, page 1623. And let's put the whole text on the screen. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read the Word of God. And as usual, 
I will just speak the first verse, and then I want you to read the rest of it. You see, here it is. It's the first verse for 25. It says, a large crowds. It wasn't a large crowd in the singular. Large crowds in the plural <laughs> were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, Go. Amen. Be seated, please. So you got it from the horse's mouth, as it were, from Jesus himself. Far from what some want Jesus to be. You know, we have so many people today, even within the church of Jesus Christ, they want Jesus to be what they want him to be. Um, far from wanting to be the spineless, milk toast Jesus to go along to get along Jesus. <laughs> Just want to talk about the winsome Jesus. Well, here the winsome Jesus become the winnowing Jesus. Now, I'm sure some people would have questioned Jesus' marketing strategy. I am absolutely convinced. His sales technique, His willingness uh, not to cater to felt needs, and on and on and on. In the last message, we concluded that the only disciples we make, that only disciples that are worthy of the name discipleship, is when these disciples are the disciples of Jesus. Not the church's disciples, not the leader's disciples, not the pastor's disciples, but the disciples of who? Today, I'm going to show you that G what Jesus is saying that the first mark of discipleship, the first evidence of discipleship, is an absolute and unquestioned loyalty to Jesus. In the next two messages, I will show you two more, and namely, 
exceptional love for Jesus and exclusively living for Jesus. Please hear me right. For genuine, authentic, real, biblical discipleship to occur, loyalty to Jesus is the first step. And loyalty to Jesus requires blazing integrity. Are you with me? (laughs) And I don't need to tell you that blazing integrity today is a rare species. We hear every day of incidents, uh, incident after incident, uh, of huge deficit, now not of the budget, deficit of integrity. Corporate, top corporate executives cooking the books, uh, journalists who deliberately, intentionally mislead and propagate fake news, Uh, preachers uh, dilute and water down deliberately the truth of the Word of God for the sake of popularity. And they all think nothing wrong with this. Television program after television program glorifies deception and double dealing, and they all think there's nothing wrong with that. No wonder, listen to this, please, no wonder less than 13% of Americans, 13% believe that all of the Ten Commandments are applicable today. That's how far we have come. But it all began when the churches have ceased to condemn sin and they accommodated sin. That's where it all began. And that is why in this place, in this place, integrity is an absolute necessity for loyalty to Jesus. Can I get an amen? Here in Luke 14, when Jesus sees this huge crowd following him, I mean, man, Nicole, this is a marketer's dream. Crowd is there. He doesn't have to gin up a crowd. He's got them. He got them. And you would say, Jesus, get them on your good side first. Jesus, tell them what they want to hear first. Jesus, tell them how wonderful they are. Uh, tickle their ears first. Teach Jesus, um, tell them how great they are. Remind them that the power is in the tongue, and they, whatever they say, God obeys. Ask them uh, to name whatever they want, and then claim it, and then they will get it. Hmm. Get them on the hook first. And then kind of in the middle of the week do some sort of a Bible study. Oh, Jesus, don't start with the cost of discipleship. Don't start there because it's a turnoff, right? Don't start with unquestioned loyalty to you. Let them have a skin in the game, right? Don't start with (laughs) self-denial. Talk about self-actualization. First, (laughs) start with telling them 
what is in it for them first. Now, beloved, listen to me. Beloved, you know, I'm, I'm, I always stand here and I'm pour my heart out to you, but this is what is in some literature for pastors. But with Jesus, there is no misleading subtleties. With Jesus, there is no small print. With Jesus, there is no sugar coating. He spells it out up front. I think most of you know that until we had this law, some of you remember, some of you not, and I don't know how it came about, but we had the new law several, couple of decades ago called Truth in Advertising. Before that, people claimed all kinds of things, right? They claimed all kinds of things. Now, you see how any pill they advertise is supposed to help you. Then they give you half a dozen side effects. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, I, I was saying last week to some of my friends, I said, you know, most people, when they're watching television, they will mute the commercials. Because I'm reading during television, with the television is going on, I mute the program, and I listen to the commercials. <laughs> I really tell you, because simply my training, back at uh, my doctoral training at sociology, I learned that commercials really is a mirror that reflects the culture more than any program. And that is why I become incredulous when I see certain pill that's advertised that is going to benefit you. And then immediately with a fast voice, you know, <laughs> they can't even comprehend it. This may cause you headache, diarrhea, cramps, heart attack, liver failure, kidney problems, blindness, loss of hair, or even loss of life. But it will help you. Whose disciple? Oh, come on now. Whose disciple? So listen to what Jesus said. If you do not hate your family <laughs> or even self, you cannot be my disciples. I'm going to unpack this because I don't want anybody here or even those watching around the world who hate their in-laws <laughs> and say, man, I got an out of here. No, no, no. <laughs> not so fast. Wait until I get to explain the text. Whoever does not hate himself cannot be my disciples. I'll explain that too. Whoever does not carry his cross and come after me, not on occasions, not when they feel spiritual, not when they have a, a petition, a request from heaven, but daily. How often? Daily. And come after me. Be, no, cannot be my disciple. Then he goes on and gives us two illustrations. They're really two illustrations that are self-explanatory. The person who builds a bridge or a, builds a tower, really a house, and because he has not counted the cost of the building, the entire building, he leaves it half done. Or like the army that does not count the cost of meeting another stronger army and they get defeated, basically saying, count the cost of discipleship. Count the cost. I told you it spills it out up front. 
when you understand these words, it will not only lead you into absolute unquestionable loyalty to Jesus, but it will encourage you to be truthful in discipling others for Jesus. Can I get an amen? In the last message, we looked at the meaning of the term disciple, and if you want here, you can download it. In the book of Acts, actually the word disciple and Christian, they use interchangeably. Christian and disciple. Now, I told you, discipleship is not a higher rank. It is when you when Jesus becomes your Savior, He becomes your Lord, and He becomes, and you become a disciple, all at the same time. Now, you might start in kindergarten, <laughs> but you're still a disciple. And that is why becoming a disciple is a must. In fact, becoming a disciple of Jesus is the only evidence that you are a believer and a, that Jesus is your Savior and Lord. Can I get an Amen. Now, some of you might protest, and I understand that. Listen to me. I've been around long enough to know. Michael, what Jesus is asking here in Luke chapter 14 is extreme. This is radical. Or as kids would say, that's rad. <laughs> now, you're obviously not being around kids. Another lingo. <laughs> but when you hear the explanation, you understand that Jesus is not calling for an extreme makeover. He's calling for a takeover. A takeover. He is either acknowledged as the only divine, sovereign, king, master, or not at all. Jesus never suggested that all you need to do is to say just a little simple prayer and then go back to your merry happy ways and you're saved. Or like some groups and they're working with young people, they say, oh, you know, just take Jesus to be a friend among your other friends in case you need Him along the way. Please listen to me. Jesus never never manipulated anyone into making an emotional decision. Jesus never gave anyone a false sense of security. Jesus never taught that the way to heaven is paved on a bit of roses. Uh, or like a book that I read 30 years ago, I shared it with the vestry, I shared the title, Jesus Never Promised You a Disneyland. In fact, in Matthew 7, 14, he warned how narrow is the gate that leads to eternal life. It's narrow. And you thought narrow-mindedness is a derogatory term. Somebody call you narrow-minded, wear it with a ba as a badge of honor, and tell them that it's a narrow road that leads to heaven. You cannot enter it with all of your deliberate, intentional sin and promiscuity. You cannot enter it 
with all of your love for this world in your heart. You cannot enter it with all your idols hanging on you and on your shoulder. No. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus said again, if anyone wishes to come after me or become my disciple, he must daily, how often? Deny himself. Oh, deny yourself. (laughs) When we're talking about self, 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 this is deny yourself. Take up his cross and follow me. There's one more thing about Luke 14 before I get to it. Here you notice Jesus is not talking about any aspect of salvation. Not here. He does not mention uh, God's holiness, human sin, divine judgment, uh, or His saving work in the cross that is coming. He does not talk about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone. He does not talk about the objective facts of the gospel. No, He is talking about the subjective, the what? subjective attitude for a radical and extreme faith commitment. And that radical and extreme faith commitment must exist in the heart of anyone, anyone who wants to be a disciple of Jesus. In fact, Bob and a group of church here have been involved with something called radical mentoring for many years. (laughs) Beloved, this is radical as far as our culture is concerned. This is extreme. This is not for the faint-hearted. This is not for the fair-weather churchgoer. And I think we're going to desperately need this more and more as we come close at the end times. In fact, I can tell you this, I've not changed in the last 36 years I've been preaching this. I was looking through, and I remember 27 years ago, a mega church pastor was here in this church, and I was preaching those many years ago, <laughs> and he, he gave me a good advice. He said, Michael, he said, it preaching like this, he called it in-your-face preaching. I said, that's not me, Jesus. I'm not, I, I, my opinion means nothing. I meant it then and I mean it now. And that is why, listen to me, I don't do this very often, but, but please understand my heart. Only God in heaven. And as I look around and I see some people have been here for 35 years. Only God in heaven knows how much I appreciate each of you have been exposed to this biblical truth day in and day out, and you're still here. <laughs> and I was thinking about integrity and loyalty to Jesus, and I hate to bring humor into something so serious like this, but I can't help it. And so forgive me ahead of time. You'll understand why I'm asking for forgiveness ahead of time, but a story told in a rural village of a Baptist deacon who was selling his cow, and he advertised it. So a man came, a would-be buyer came in, and he said, "Uh, how much is the cow? He said, $50. He said, how much 
milk does it give? Does she give? He said, um, four gallons a day. Every day gives you four gallons. Again, the prospective buyer said to him, he said, how do I know that it will give that much and that you're telling me the truth? He said, you have to trust me. I'm a Baptist deacon. The man said, okay, I'll buy it. And so he took the cow home. He said, I'm taking it home, and I'll bring you the money later. And the deacon said, how do I know that you're going to bring me the money? The buyer said, you can trust me. I'm a Presbyterian elder. <laughs> and so the man goes home. He said, honey, his wife, he said, uh, what is a Presbyterian elder? She said to him, well, a Presbyterian elder is about the same as a Baptist deacon. And the man said, oh, dear, I've lost my cow. <laughs> All right. Integrity. Integrity. Beloved, without integrity in your loyalty to Jesus, you cannot be a disciple. I know this is hard. But it's the truth. That's what he said. Verse 26. Here is that extreme radical concept. If anyone comes after me and does not hate father or mother or hate himself even, what's he saying? What's he saying? <laughs> but before I even answer that, I want to tell you a, a true story. This is a true story. Back in the early 80s, a woman got ordained in the denomination that I used to belong to. She did not affirm the divinity of Christ. She did not affirm the bodily resurrection of Jesus. She did not affirm the infallibility and inspiration of the Holy Scripture. And yet, she left her husband and family based on this verse, 14.26, Luke 14.26. She said to her husband, I have to choose God. That's, and she pointed that verse. At a lunch meeting, which I will never forget until I die, at the Capital City Club downtown, her husband looked me in the eye like laser. And he said to me, please tell me what kind of a God who does this? Later, of course, we found out it has nothing to do with God, it has nothing to do with ordination of this false calling, it has to do with other things. Here's the explanation, and I'm going to plead with you. Can I, I plead with you in the balcony, watching around the world, here in the sanctuary? I'm going to plead with you. If I lost you at some point, whether you didn't like something I said and you just switched off, or whether you just switched off because you just switched off, but come back. This is important. I want to give you the explanation. I'm pleading with you not to miss it. Jesus was making it very clear, and he's making a clear distinction between redemptive love, which, which is divine, and possessive love, which is not. 
Jesus is telling a would-be disciple that our relationship with our loved ones, with our family members, with all our loved ones, unless that love stems out of redemptive love, unless that love grows out of redemptive love, unless that love stems out of loyalty to Jesus, it will not be selfless love. It will be possessive love. If a love between husband and wife does not flow out of God's love for them and their love for God, at best, it's a possessive love, not redemptive love. And that's why you discover at the core of every marital problem, I've been around, I've been around for a long time, I, know, I can tell you it's seldom different. At the very core of all marital problem, there is sin. I don't care what they dress it and how they rationalize it and how they play it. No, no, it's sin at the very core. And sin that is not repented of is disloyalty to Jesus. In fact, you see this very clearly on television, you see it in the movies. You see, oh, you know, baby, I need you. Uh, baby, I, 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 I have to have you. I, 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 I. I often, when I used to do weddings, I haven't done in one in years, but in my younger years, especially when I started the ministry, you've heard me say this before, I used to be much tougher, much harder. I'm much gentler now. I'm much softer now. And I always, I always ask, why do you want to marry Snookums here? I turn her and say, why do you want to marry, why do you want to marry? Oh, he makes me laugh. Get a comedian. <laughs> she makes me happy. Really? And in my early days in Australia, and weddings, uh, sometimes I, I was really an associate. I was a director, and the director occasionally would send me some people to do the weddings, and, uh, and I would, because in Australia, everybody at the time, not anymore, 65% of the population were Anglicans, so they go to the Anglican church, and they never really come back. Uh, we used to call them, you know, that we hatch them and match them and dispatch them. <laughs> we baptize the babies, and we do their weddings, and then the funeral. <laughs> that was the only time you see them in church. And so, aware of that fact, that so many people in the parish would come, and I, I, would, I would just ask the question. I'll never forget an answer a man gave me. He said, I sure love the way she danced. I said, what if you meet a better dancer? He did, didn't have an answer. <laughs> in fact, a few weeks ago, you know, when I had that big event in Sydney, uh, one man came down. I did his wedding back in 75, and, and he came down the aisle, and he remembered me from 75, and he wanted to come and hear us at the convention center, and he went to Jonathan Yousaf, and, and, and he gave him a picture of my doing his wedding. I want to show you. 
I want to show you back when I was 27. Oh, the guys, not going to show it to you. Okay? No? That's not it. That's not me. Okay, I know Rich was going to put it up there. Well, that's okay. But that was 1975. This guy gave us his wedding picture while I'm standing there giving him the, the marriage license. I don't think he's the guy who said, uh, I, like, I love the way she dances. <laughs> Beloved, listen to me. Jesus is saying to a would-be disciple, possessive love is selfish, self, selfish at best. Possessive love cannot be eternal, but the love that flows out of a total loyalty to Christ is deeper and higher love than anything else. The love that emanates from your total commitment and loyalty to Christ will make your love for family and for others to be real and will grow every day. A disciple's total loyalty to Jesus compels him, compels her to exercise redemptive love with all of their relationships. Uh, it, it will compel them to bear witness to Christ. It compels them not to be ashamed of Christ. It compels them to love like Christ. It compels them to be the same person in business as they are in church on Sunday. It compels them to worship Him with money and time as well as with lips. It compels, them, compels us to value surrender more than success. It compels us to value our time with Him, our intimacy with Him more than entertainment. It compels us to value prayer more than power. It compels us to value the truth more than the treasures of this world. It compels us to place loyalty completely to Him and for Him above all else. That's redemptive love. Otherwise, Jesus said, it would be like a, an unfinished building. He would say, ah, look, he calls himself a Christian. She calls herself a Christian. Look at him. Look at that building. They thought they're going to build a tower, going to build a house. Look at look at, Just only the foundation and a few columns, and that's it. Half-built building. is mocking to the person who built it. Or a defeated army because the army never was realistic and looked in their true readiness. Why? Because they have not taken the time to count the cost of discipleship, because they did not take discipleship seriously, because they did not take loyalty to Jesus seriously. And remember this, just in case you begin to panic and say, oh my, it's all dependent on me. It's all up to me. I'm going to have, what, what, what do I do? How, how can I do that? Let me tell you something. You've seen me and you heard me long enough to know that if it's up to me holding on to Jesus, I would have been lost a long time ago. But thank God 
Jesus is the one holding on to me. Jesus is the one holding on to me. You know, when, when um, the years are 1977, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. Our eldest daughter, who's 48 now, she was two. And she was always rumbunctious. Always wanted. And we were downtown in Sydney with my in-laws. And uh, we, very busy street traffic. And, 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 and the grandfather, Mr. Bailey, was grabbing her, her, her arm tight. And she wanted to wiggle away from it. She wanted to wiggle, and she wanted to wiggle. And, and she said, Grandpa, let me hold your hand, not you holding my hand. And the wise grandfather said, not on your life. And he grabbed her hand. Beloved, that's what God is doing. You come to him. He grabs your hand. He holds your hand. He holds it tight. He's not asking us to, it's not dependent on us. He's just coming. He's asking us to count the cost when we come to him. And once we make that commitment, he's going to take over. He's going to take over. He's going to take care of the rest. Why? Because he promised never to leave you, never to forsake you. I'll always remember the moment when I said to Jesus, in fact, I wasn't quite 19, I was 18, about 18 and a half, and I was standing in a Christian bookstore. I don't know how, I don't know why, but I remember that moment as if it's yesterday when I said to the Lord, I go anywhere, I do anything, I'm yours. And for the past almost 60 years, it has been the greatest joy ride that I can ever imagine. Were there some rough patches? Of course. Were there some difficult times? Absolutely. But He is faithful. And when you count the cost and you come to Him and you say, I want to be your disciple, Jesus said, I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of the rest. I'll guarantee it. In fact, in John 6, He said, those whom the Father gives me, I'll lose none. None. Father, it's overwhelming to think of your faithfulness and your grace in the midst of our fumbling and stumbling along the way and our fear and anxiety that you are the faithful God. You have been faithful. You are faithful. You will always be faithful. And Lord, I pray for every precious person at the sound of my voice right now who would count the cost and place you first and give you their loyalty above everything else and above every other loyalty. And Lord, we thank you that you said, I'll take it over from here. That's your promise. And you do keep your promises. We look at 2,000 years of history and all of your children of the past and the history we read and the biographies, how faithful you've been, let alone our own testimony to your faithfulness. Only ungrateful people cannot testify to your faithfulness. And so, Father, I pray that 
today and this coming days, we ignite such a move of the Spirit of God where your children count the cost of discipleship, that no one, no one, as the days get darker, be walking alone, but be discipler or being discipled. For Father, I pray this in the matchless name of Jesus. For the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To the glory of God the Father and all God's people said amen. Amen. Just stand and sing together.